rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to Wales reaching their first World Cup since 1958. Can the likes of Bale, Allen and Ramsey continue to perform at the highest level? We'll also talk about England's defeat to Hungary, their first inside 90 minutes in 23 games. But does Gareth Southgate need to be more attacking and ditch the 3-4-3? And we will also give out our end-of-season awards, including Team of the Year, player of the year and most improved player stay with us on the game podcast Hello there, welcome to the Game Podcast with myself, Hugh Wizencroft, alongside Gregor Robertson, Tony Cascarino and Alison Rudd. And of course, we begin by reacting to the huge news that Wales have reached their first Men's World Cup since 1958, thanks to a 1-0 win over Ukraine in Cardiff. A deflected Gareth Bale effort on the evening was enough. Remember that 10 years ago, Wales was sitting 112th in the world. That was before Gary Speed began a revolution in Welsh football. They're now 18th in the world and just about by the skin of their teeth off to the World Cup in Qatar later this year. It was a superb atmosphere in Cardiff. And Tony, it's a superb achievement for Rob Page and his side. Yeah, well, sometimes you um, you get the privilege of watching a game against Scotland where Scotland played the Ukraine and played two up front and paid a heavy price because the Ukrainian midfield dominated the play against Scotland and um, I think that benefited Wales in some way even though I totally agree with you the Ukraine team were a very dangerous opposition because their ability to move the ball and counter really well and look Wayne Ennessy pulled off a good few saves um, I thought the you look at Joe Allen alongside Aaron Ramsey in midfield and then another block of two in front which was Gareth Bow and Daniel James and leave, left uh, Kiefer Moore up front. It was a clear identity of the way they tried to stop the Ukraine, even though the Ukrainian team was as good as I can remember and lacked the, you know, one thing they were very good and very clinical against Scotland, they certainly weren't against Wales and missed some very good opportunities. Penalty that looked an absolute nailed on uh, penalty. Yeah. It could have been given against, Scot- um, given against Wales. Look, sometimes you need to have a little bit of fortune in competition you know, we watched the Champions League the week before. Liverpool weren't clinical, paid a heavy price. But certainly, Ukraine weren't like that against the Welsh, where they just didn't punish them for the mistakes that um, the Welsh teams made. I think that the key difference was, though, and I hate to say it, Scotland never really brought the fight that Wales did. I don't think Wales had much more quality in the game than Scotland did, but they were just throwing their body in the way a little bit more. There were maybe fewer mistakes from the Welsh team. It felt like they understood the gravity uh, of the situation a little bit more th- than Scotland did, Gregor, which is why I throw to you next, <laughs> by Cheers. the way, mate. Uh, yeah, commiserations. But it is a big achievement for the likes of Rob Page, who, of course, took over the role not expecting to become the head coach, the the manager, if you like, of of Wales. And what he's done with the team since, you can't really see anyone else doing the job going forward. They have been on a journey. They've been to a European Championship. They are now off to a World Cup. But what was interesting, of course, was the credit that Rob Page gave to Gary Speed's time in charge, saying that he had totally changed the culture of Welsh football and made them a more serious outfit. But he has certainly built on it. Yeah, I mean, the the benefit that, that Wales have have in, 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 uh, in Rob Page taken over is that he's someone who's been a part of the, the setup there and the de- development of of Welsh football in the last over the last almost a decade really you know worked with the 21s I know Rob Page quite well from I played with him at Chesterfield in the, his last three years of his of his career when his, his legs were going a little bit um, <laughs> but he's a great guy 
You tell you he was going to be a, a good manager. He was someone you would definitely pick out. He was a leader of men. Oh gosh, was, tell me how. How do you know that? Because he's a, a leader. But what did he do? How, what did he do that other players that you played with didn't do? He, ju- he just has a kind of a presence and a respect. And just he was just a really good man. That sounds like a very basic thing to say, but he's someone that I think everyone liked. Everyone had a lot of respect for. If he said something in changing room, everyone listened. When he took over, you know, a lot of people were thinking... Crikey, who's Rob Page? And you know, you know, he'd had a tough time at Northampton Town. Did quite well at Port Vale before that, but you know, that's not really a, a CV to get to be leading your country in in uh, Euros and and to a World Cup. But I kind of knew that he would be someone that the players would respect, despite the fact you know he played won a lot of caps for Wales, but he didn't have a, a stellar career. He played a lot of his football in the Championship, but undoubtedly the players will like and respect him, and mm. and that's important when someone takes over in a difficult circumstance. See, can I just add something on that? Because I felt sometimes you have managers that just let certain players within your team do their thing. You know, Ancelotti's made a career out of of being a manager, of just knowing he's really he's top players he'll let them do what they do. And I think that fitted, obviously, for Gareth Bale because Gareth's had a a really weird time at club level and then he comes into national duty. And it's a little bit easier in international because you get players for small periods. So you can just join up and you go, right, let's make this enjoyable. Let's do our training, which is never going to be that extreme, that difficult. And by the way, when we play, these are my ideas of how our team function. And Gareth Bale was really important to that for, for Wales. And, and I think you can get a lot of credit by not being really demanding of saying, right, I'm the gaffer. I mean, one of Steve Stallings, and I like Steve a lot, one of his massive mistakes when he took over Republic of Ireland, I'm the gaffer, this is what you're going to do. And Bobby Robson, he's not the manager. And, and straight away, it felt you've made bad choices there, Steve. You know, how are you going to relay that to your team, of how you want them to do things the way... You know, and I, and I think it's... He'd done a really good job of just taking a step back in some ways with Wales and not being as demanding as most managers would be. Yeah, you knew there were big, there's some really big players in that Welsh. Ramsey is obviously Joe Allen, you know. And they've stepped up for a long time in a Welsh jersey. So I think, you know, I think it's a collective effort, really. That's what it looked like. And, you know, you can include the fans in that. Amazing power in that stadium. I wonder if it's. the whole story's helped by the fact that he he was interim and didn't have any pressure. Circumstances meant he was taking yeah. over the Wales team. No one said he was always our first choice. He he was taking over he was and not, the, he and not the, knowing, not knowing how long for. And, mm. and it, odd circumstances. It doesn't happen very often, does it, that, that, that you have to make a change international level because of an impending court case. So, but that meant the pressure was off because there was no expectation. No, no one was mm. really turning around and saying, "Well, why have they picked him? Who's he?" Because everyone knew it was a well, emergency got, measure almost. Yeah, he got the job because of circumstances. Yeah, but that that yeah, means that he can be more, as yes. you've described, yeah. he can be more relaxed mm. because he doesn't have to prove himself. What he's proving is, I'm a capable pair of hands who understand the setup and the team really well. Mm. But I can go about this without the spotlight that would have been on him had it been a, you know, Rasmataz appointment. I think it's a valid reason. I think that gives a good sense of idea. I mean, look, there's a list. If you go from Gary Speed and you go to Chris Coleman, who done a really good job getting him to the Euros, yeah. um, certainly, you know, you could add in um, Ryan Geek's time was pretty decent before he had issues off the field. You know, it's been growing, hasn't it? The Welsh idea has been growing and Rob Page has come into a time and I'm not making this, you know, an easier job for him because it's not, but part of it does feel that group there's a real unity there you can see it and he's just let it happen evolve organically if you like you got you got to you know for comparing them to Scotland and how they how, how poor they were against the Ukraine they didn't give them any space any time no they closed the space in Scotland there was acres you know there was <laughs> well the two up front with Scotland was <laughs> yeah it was a huge yeah. mistake so yeah, you know yeah. you've got to give Paige credit as well for, mm. for the way that they, he set up against Ukraine who were you know very very strong team 
Yeah, maybe he will thank Steve Clark for showing him the way. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> Listen, when you think about Joe Allen and Aaron Ramsey and, of course, Gareth Bale, I think they just about squeezed enough out of them in that game. In fact, the fact that they were sort of drenched at the end, it was a, a bit like a, a kitchen sponge that had just been wrung. It was just one of those things, right, when you saw Aaron Ramsey trudging over and you thought, I mean, he's given just about every ounce of energy he has. And Joe Allen was talking afterwards about how... Uh, Certainly for the last 20 minutes, you know, every challenge he was putting in, his, his foot was getting there just half a second too late and he was, you know, treading the line. And then, of course, you've got Gareth Bale, who, you know, of course, was always going to be involved in the decisive moment if it went Wales's way, and he was. You wonder how long how long they can go. It's a great reward for everything they've given Welsh football. Can they continue to have an impact going forward, Tony? Well, I'd say yes, because one thing we hadn't touched on, look, Harry Wilson is a really talented boy and he played really well in a previous game I think it was against Austria um, when I watched Harry Wilson perform and he's done brilliantly at Fulham and he decided to leave him out in this particular game you know we watched uh, against the Ukrainians and I think there's an element that their squad is a bit more depth to it than times gone by they've always had great players I can name a lot of great Welsh players I played against but there feels a little bit more depth to his squad and I also like the idea Ben Davis has just stepped up to another level and he's got two young lads either side of him obviously Rondon uh, and Nico Williams who I thought was brilliant as well the other day and it, it feels like he's really knows his best 11 and it might alter slightly to certain opposition because one thing he has to get take great credit out and they'll need this going into a, a group stage of a World Cup is that your team selection can change even if you win games okay that's really important because many international plays, teams play different ways and I learned that as playing two World Cups and the Euros that you come up against opposition that you might look at as in their personnel and go, yeah, really great team. But sometimes certain teams play a certain way. And I think he recognised that quite quickly. Yeah, I think he, he has. He has done a great job. I wonder what you think about it, Gregor. Can they go on? Yeah, well, considering that the, the World Cup is is a bit closer this year as well these are guys who they're going to be doing everything they can to be best prepared for that it almost feels like for a cohort of this squad playing for their, their country is the most important thing in the between now and the end of their careers really <laughs> for a little group of them what wows golf and really <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably yeah. <laughs> um, I think you're right to bring up Ben Davis I think you know we've not mentioned him yet he, he was outstanding the number of blocks and he's had a great year and someone who's just kind of you know getting, getting over 30 and happy to sit back into a back three it suits him now if you're looking at that team you're right you've got Brendan Johnson came on had a real impact yeah. as well he's he's going to be you know one to watch in the Premier League next season for Nottingham Forest it, the only worry for me personally is I would I look at D Davis and, and Rodon are, are, are good solid players there I'm not sure who the third one is I think Ampadu was caught out a couple of times and I think you've got Mepham as well as another candidate there but I'm not sure they're quite of the same the same level for uh, you know playing at that elite level so um, but yeah extraordinary effort and you know it made me quite quite sad as a Scotsman <laughs> that we, we couldn't we couldn't just dredge up one more performance like that uh, when we needed it so do you yeah. think are you saying Gregor that Wales players play more for Wales than the Scotland players play for Scotland um, I think they've done it more consistent, consistently over a, a long period of time now I think we were getting to that point and we have done you know, you know we had a, a very good record until until till Wednesday night when we just fell short and you know there were tactical. But do you know what? Do you know what Alison means there, Gregor? I don't want to put words into your mouth, <laughs> Alison. Did you did you mean that the importance of playing for the country is maybe more significant to the Welsh players than the Scottish ones? Well, no, I, I stick with the same answer. I think that they they have shown that to be the case over a, more consistently over a long period of time. Mm. I think Scotland players absolutely we're starting to show and have shown for the past year or so that it means a lot to them that they enjoy meeting up and playing playing for their country and that they're playing for a manager who they also respect and think is as a as a good leader for them but yeah. he made some he made some mistakes i think and we were weakened we didn't have Kieran Tierney we're not we've not got the depth actually i think in all honesty of the Welsh squad if we lose a couple of key players we're in trouble and I think that showed some tactical flaws showed and for some reason I don't know what it is there was also a little bit of a, a dip in that kind of intensity and fight that, that Scotland have shown and that's, made, that's been you know at the heart of their success and if, relative success in Greg, the last 12 months Gregor you you know 
managers are never going to openly come out and say it. I think Steve Clark will reflect on that game if he looks back and think, I made some really bad decisions and how I set up my team because they got through you so comfortably and they countered brilliantly that it came at a big cost. You never could lay a glove on them in the game until really, until, I mean, look, McGinn missed a great header, didn't he? Great chance. But generally, they were just carving you open. Mm. And that midfield was just getting exposed on every opportunity. And I think selecting two up front, he could have changed it after 20 minutes because it was pretty evident in the opening period of the game there were real bad problems for the Scottish team. Absolutely. I I felt... That the di- the key difference between what Scotland did against Ukraine and what Wales did against Ukraine was that both teams were had the home support. They were both desperate. I think Scotland have found some sense of unity and a desire to succeed. But the difference was that Scotland let the emotion of that go too far. They were running around like they were being chased by wolves. They, you know, they <laughs> they they had they, they were mad. They were going bonkers. It was all adrenaline no tactics it was just crazy stuff whereas Wales harnessed the passion into what you can do with on a football pitch properly which is use your energy Hmm. correctly close down correctly fill the spaces correctly concentrate properly but play better than you've ever played before because it matters to you Scotland allowed the emotion to mean they I don't um, at some points, they weren't really playing football. They were just herring around, desperate mm. to do something, but not in, not in an adequate way. Clear heads. I can't argue with that, to be honest. I mean, they, they, the only the only one thing I would say is that he, you can see why Steve Clark was key, was keen to to kind of uh, to wedge Lyndon Dykes into the team because I think if he thought we're gonna we're gonna take this game to them, mm. we're gonna play forward, and Lyndon Dykes has a real handful on his day. He's had a difficult season, really, and he wants to get Jay Adams in the team now as well. <laughs> so I can see why he did it, but it was a mistake. Um, but I also think let's uh, let's give Wales the credit. Oh, I think and they- b- by the way, Gregor. Ukraine are a really good side. They are. Even though they lost against Wales, you could tell they're going to cause teams a lot of problems the way they played. I tend to agree with you on that, Tony. I think Ukraine were probably the better side. They definitely should have had a penalty. I don't know if anyone wants to argue with that. There were emotional scenes at the end of the game as well. Alison, did you think the fact that they played against Scotland last week made a difference? You know, Wales managed against Poland to wrap up the likes of, of Bale and Ramsey in Cottonwood. Even Rodon did play in that game. Do you, do you think that made a difference? Because a lot of the Ukrainian players who, who were playing domestically hadn't played a game competitively before the Scotland match in, in months. Oh, no, I, I mean, it, I, the odds were stacked, even though Ukraine are the better team, technically, I think the odds were stacked against them slightly because playing two games in front of very passionate home fans in the space of a few days, I mean, that, that's quite a lot to absorb into into those performances. So they, they, they pulled it off against Scotland and they did weather a bit of a storm against Scotland. Let's not you know forget it. There, were, there was about 10, 15 minutes where they looked, like, they looked tiny but shaky. And then to do it all again against Wales, who are a better team than Scotland, but with just as much raucous support, I think that's asking a lot, especially when you put the backdrop of what it means. Because I think psychologically, it's really hard to have beaten Scotland and had all those interviews with men on the front line saying, oh, we're watching the team and we feel if Ukraine can win, we can win the war. I mean, that's not normal pressure as a football player, is it? There's a link there between what's going on in your home country and what you're doing out on a football pitch. And I just think emotionally they must have been feeling quite drained. And then you get to the pure football bit, which is there is a clear penalty. It's one of those penalties which isn't debatable at all. That's what that's what a penalty is for, isn't it? If you trip somebody <laughs> in the area, take their leg away. I, I have no idea why it wasn't given. That might have made them feel, oh my goodness, you know, it's not it's not happening for us today. Would that have been a red card? Because obviously there was a yellow card before that was given to the player and. Could have been a red card. And they, well, uh, that might have been, that goal. might have influenced yeah. the subconsciously. Maybe the, the referee. No, yeah, I'm just yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a referee, is if he knows he has to give the penalty, he has to give a red card. I mean, what about VAR? Come on, in a game of this magnitude, <laughs> yes. what's the yeah. point? What's the point if you're not going to listen? Even if you you don't want to overturn it, I mean, you, you don't even ask the referee to have a look at it. Uh, to be honest, my personal view on those those you know those ones where a player goes to clear the ball and someone nips in from behind them out of their their vision, even out of their peripheral, and they sort of kick the back of their leg. To be honest, 
you don't get those at five aside in Alperton. That's all I'm going to say, okay? <laughs> so should you be getting them on the way to a World Cup? I'm not sure. Anyway, the Wales fans are off. Um, the Red Wall will be there watching their team, doing everything they can to support uh, the Welsh Dragon. They're going to be in a group alongside the United States, Iran and England. Do you think, Alison, that Wales will fancy their chances of reaching the knockout stages in that group? Well, yeah. I'm, 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 and, I, and they have a realistic chance of thinking that as well. They have a sense that it's not like, okay, it's, it's, you know, it's not 1958, they've been banging on about it. And you might think, oh, it's going to be too much for them. But they have recently done well at the Euros. So they know, they know what, what you have to do in a tournament situation. It's not like they're, they're completely naive. So if they can harness the lessons they learned at the European Championships and apply them to the World Cup, I think, and I'm looking at the group, I, I don't think it's ridiculous to see England and Wales being in the top two places in that group at all. I mean, hopefully it'll be close and exciting, but they they have got quite a nice potent mix, I think, of recent tournament experience, a sort of, a sort of self-confidence that isn't arrogance, but a belief that they've got a, a decent mix of youngsters and stars that are ageing but are prepared to you know, just give it everything um, Rafa Nadal style to keep going. There is a tiny bit of fear element there as well. I mean, they're big names. I mean, we joke about Gareth Bale's career at Real Madrid, but he still won an awful lot and scored a lot of beautiful goals and I think is held in high esteem. So the players from Iran and America aren't going to think, oh, he's passed it. They're going to be worried about him. If you can make your opposition worried... That's 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 halfway there, aren't you? I think mm. the fixtures fall nicely as well for Wales. They start against the United States, then it's Iran, then it's the Battle of Britain match <laughs> against England. Um, how do you think that one will go? Obviously, you're a long way out, Tony. Um, do you think England will be worried about the Welsh in that final group game? Well, played against England in the Euros in '88. We beat them one nil. Played against England in 1990 World Cup. We drew 1-1. Scotland played against England last summer in the Euros and drew and put in their best performance. So don't be surprised if a team from the UK in Great Britain <laughs> gets a result because there's something about playing England. And I was always aware when Jack Charlton would say, right, this lot are under incredible pressure against you lot. Don't worry about it because it's all the sticks going to come at them. Even if they beat us, they're going to get stick. So use that. <laughs> Make sure you keep the game at 0-0 zero, zero or 1-1. One, one. Just keep it tight. And and I always remember that. that the, you know, like Scotland did last summer in the Euros. They put in their best performance. So don't be surprised in the World Cup when the Welsh play England. They might put in their best performance, which I suspect they probably would do. And I think that's always the problem for England when they play one of the home nations. I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be a great game. I think everyone will be looking forward to that Battle of Britain. 29th of November, we'll all be watching, I'm sure. And as I said, it, it could be a crunch game. And maybe, having watched the football at the weekend, you might make Wales the favourites because England lost their first match inside 90 minutes, that is, in 23 games as Hungary beat England for the first time in 60 years. After the game, England uh, manager Gareth Southgate coming under some scrutiny. He once again played a 3-4-3 formation. So for all of those that had claimed previously that he was either too pragmatic or even negative, that performance and that result, I think, was fuel for the fire. Tony Southgate says he was managing the minutes of the players. Um, the players themselves said they were a little bit jaded. Was the um, was the way that it was such a fragmented performance, even the substitutions, you didn't really see what was going on. Was it sort of needs must to just tune the players up or is the criticism over Southgate's approach fair? Well, it was pretty, um, uh, it was quite flat. And I would add to the team setup was a strange one because I think Gareth is really juggling with how he sets up as a back three or a back four and he's thinking about ideas and you know if you're going to use Trent as a wing back which I don't think Trent excels at I think Trent is way better as an attacking fullback in a four England have a team to be aggressive and adventurous now 
having two holding midfielders, and I'm gonna I could go on with one reason why I would just go with a back four and I'm playing Declan Rice as centre half all day long. To me, he's perfectly suited to play and get this idea of two holding midfielders in front of, you know, the three. I'd play just a I'd, I really believe that Declan Rice can be the Paul McGrath of what he did for Ireland, which was be a midfielder and a centre half. He's he's not a stats man, he's not an assist man, he's not a goal scoring midfielder. Okay, he's all of them things. That's what McGraw was. But he's a great defender, he reads things really well and he's comfortable on the ball. I really believe you could put him in a back for whether it's along if Gareth has got issues around his team and how they set up I think they're much better suited to be a back four and I believe that Rice would be the perfect answer for me as that people say well he's never played there well he has played there he's played there as a young man and he quite clearly knows how to do that job um, and I think Gareth has got to find some sort of solution that's a little bit different instead of going with a three because I don't really think it suits a three if you're going to play a three you're going to play Rhys James on the, on the right side as a wing back because he does that better than Trent I think Trent is a far more capable in a four so it's um, there are issues that I think Gareth would have learnt. He probably wouldn't do what I would suggest, but I think it's an it's quite an obvious one. And I'm sounding like I'm being really smart here, but I just think it's quite an obvious one. I think just well, stick, stick Declan Rice in there. He'll do that job. He I would be amazed if he couldn't do that job. But they need him in midfield. No, they don't. don't. They? Been, no, they don't. Great in midfield. They, they don't, you. They don't need him midfield because you've got you, Bellingham can play that role of being attacking midfield, and Calvin Phillips can be the defensive midfielder. You don't, unless you want to play three. And Henderson's, you know, still around. Henderson can do a job. You don't need Declan Rice there. You need him more as a centre half, in my opinion. See, the thing is, I think one of the things watching the weekend is that is actually that there were so many players. You mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold already playing as a wingback. He doesn't naturally do that for his club. Uh, Jude Bellingham played in a two, uh, which he doesn't do for his club in, in central midfield. And in of course, in that formation, Mason Mount was playing sort of on the left-hand side of a front three, even though it was a 3-4-3. Three, three. He doesn't play there for his club. Um, and that's why I sort of wondered, is it needs must? Were these just the players who were sort of good to go and he just shoehorned them in? Because hmm. he can't imagine he's going to get the best out of the squad and the players playing in a 3-4-3. Surely not, Alison. No, I mean, it's. I'm getting a bit sick and tired of this, to be honest. <laughs> it, it was the most illogical lineup going and the idea of him juggling resources is, is that's not the excuse at all. Um, he had players available to, to play the sort of match that might set the tone we're not that far off the World Cup um, you know d decide what you're going to be for goodness sake you know it's, uh, it was so illogical you don't play deep and conservative football with the players he used so uh, Tony made the very valid point Trent Alexander-Arnold is not going to shine if he's playing uh, the way Chelsea would play. So if you're playing the way Chelsea play, then play the Chelsea player in that position, Rhys James. So that so it was almost like he was setting him up to fail. I mean, you've got Kyle Walker. The reason Kyle Walker is so fated is his pace. And that's useful if you play high up the pitch, pressing football. So him and you know, Trent together using their pace and their adventure that would work but Kyle Walker sort of wasted if you play a conservative back three there's not really the point of it is it if you're I don't know it just didn't didn't stack up what sort of style so so he was Gareth was seemed to be saying we're playing safety first football a bit like Chelsea light I would say because we, we England don't have the midfielders to play the way Chelsea play properly they don't. They don't have the technic. They don't have the technical ability to play it the way that. Because what you do is, if you're, if you're playing that way, you use your wing backs and get crosses in. But you also, when the opposition are uh, concerned about your wing backs, you have space in midfield and you do those quick technical passing through the middle. And we don't really have that either. So decide what you want to be and pick the players to that but I, I've, I've you know, I think I've said this before I've watched Gareth Southgate watching Alexander Arnold and looking perplexed because he's he's almost too much of a free spirit 
and so good, you either build your team around him or you decide you're not going to play him at all. And I think he's slightly scared about dropping him because his stats are amazing and he sets up so many goals and he's different and he's definitely a player that Iran and the United States would be scared to face. Why bother shoehorning him into a team where it's not playing to his strengths? It's... I don't. I, I feel like England are going backwards. That they lost the Euro final and they lost it tactically, not because of bad luck or fate or injuries. And it's it's made Gareth Southgate a little bit nervous and a little bit conservative. And uh, it was a horrible, horrible thing to watch. Who'd have thought Hungary, with all their problems with racism and homophobia, you'd end up thinking, oh well, I like them. I'd quite like them to win because they're playing more attractive football. There's so many aspects of the team that you can pick over like that, mm. you know, with a fine tooth comb. Uh, the bit, the biggest one for me with England playing 3-4-3, which I've said before, is that you're shoehorning uh, an extra defender in, and that's the weakest part of England's team, mm. and you're taking away an attacking player, and that's the strongest part of English te- England's team. But I honestly think we're wasting a breath if we want Gareth, Gareth Southgate to change this. If you want Gareth Southgate to decide what he's going to be, as Alison phrases it, and a lot of people want. I think what England are going to be, and will always be under Gareth Southgate, is flexible, um, pragmatic, not always going to be exciting, but pretty efficient. I think I don't think you need to read too much into this game you know it's an end of season game where players are knackered and he's put in probably half the team aren't going to be starters and you know this, this format has got England to the semi-final of a World Cup and the final of a Euros mm. penalty kicks away from winning the Euros so we can go round and round the houses and we'll continue to we'll continue to because and it's what fair enough you, think, you want to see no, England be more England's best chances of winning the World Cup are which formation do you think would be most conducive to England going all the way because everyone says they've got a good enough squad this is a good enough team we should be competing with the very best in the world Yes, you can look back and say it's got us far in tournaments, hasn't got us to win a tournament yet. And so maybe there is somewhere to go with this England team. Yeah, I, I understand the conversation. I understand that people want to see the next step. But, but, but which do you think, which do you think, I don't, which I, formation takes England further in Europe? I would prefer England to play four at the back and have an extra attacking player on the pitch because it gets the best out of the full backs and the most out of and an extra player an extra attacking player on the pitch I don't but I don't think Gareth Southgate is going to do that I think he's going to play this formation against the better opposition and I think there will be games where he'll switch to a back four when he thinks England can take the initiative and go and win the game so yeah I, w- I would like to see it just just from a, a neutral point of view and seeing players that we see every single week um, flourishing in the Premier League uh, you know, having the shackles thrown off a little bit, but I, that doesn't necessarily win tournaments at international level, and I don't think Gareth Southgate is mm-hmm. ever going to do it. Hugh, England have got the absolute ideal model for a four-three-three. It's absolutely perfect their model. You've just got to select the right players in the right positions. And, you know, Trent is easy for me as a right back to do that model. I look at someone like Saka, uh, certainly on the right. I look at Sterling, who, by the way, is still very important in a 4-3-3 because he has the the pace and gets to the byline and gets to areas. And you must have an attacking midfielder, which I believe they've got in Bellingham. He can be that player. It's a perfect formation with the players they've got at his disposal. 4-4-3-3. And it... I, I don't see any other reason to, to change and go to, a like you said, a three, uh, three, four, three in another way or three, five, two. or You know, I just don't like the formation. I think every player fits perfectly into that style of a four, three, three. I do think the pressure is going to come on Gareth Southgate if he doesn't change his style of football. I think the media are getting fed up with it clearly you've heard Alison's response you know one of the big players so um, <laughs> so ultimately I think that pressure will come as we build up to the World Cup I've always said these four Nation League games are actually really important in terms of fine tuning how you want to play at the World Cup there are going to be two Nations League games next season there won't be warm up games those will basically be the warm up games for the World Cup we'll go eight days from the end of the Premier League to the start of the World Cup so 
I think these four Nations League games, even if the players are jaded, if they say they're they're jaded, I think from a coaching perspective, you really need to mould the way that you're going to play. Uh, I said before, I think the one thing I wanted to see was sort of, you know, if there are new relationships, new players coming into the squad that need to be built, you know, give Bellingham and Rice that opportunity to sort of forge a relationship on the pitch, for example. Um, even if it's the wing backs there and you want to say, have Carl Walker on the right side of a three and maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold as a wing back, you know, let them play together, let them work each other's games out. Whether that will happen in the next three games, I, I'm not sure if we'll see it. We've got Germany tomorrow night. We're probably going to see a raft of changes. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Look, it, it, there were positives to take from that England game. Jared Bowen, strong debut. Tony, do you think he carries on in an England side? I'm delighted he's got given an opportunity. He's had a great season. And with that, um, do I think he will be in a starting 11 come the World Cup? No, I don't. I think you know playing really well the other night or being certainly one of the better players in a very... Um, sort of poor performance um, by the team um, he'll get some plaudits from that and rightly so like he has for his performances for West Ham this year but I think he's quite a way down the pecking order uh, to make a breakthrough and he'll probably have to play even better at the start of the season for West Ham to have a chance of being in the first 11 because I think that's still a long way off Alison if England play a 3-4-3 and they lose what are you going to write? Told you so (laughs) <laughs> I just, yeah. Look, I'm really interested. It's obviously better opposition. This Germany side under Hansi Flick have played a lot better than I think the one that we saw uh, in the Euros away in Munich as well. I mean, again, what are these games all about if you're not going to be preparing for that World Cup, trying to put your best foot forward? I know fitness allowing and, and positive COVID tests allowing, but, you know, go out there with a strong side try and put I say a marker down it's not that it's just set a, set a tone of how you want to play he said himself at Gareth Southgate that his job was to get an extra attacker into this England team but it doesn't really feel like he's trying to do that especially if he plays 4-3 four, 4-3 three, four, three, excuse me so um, yeah I guess we'll react to to that result and whether um, Gareth Southgate is a little bit more positive or not when we see you on Thursday now, before we move on, clearly Gregor is back with us and he hasn't been on the podcast for a while. And Gregor, mate, I know there are a couple of things that you did want to say before we move on. Yeah, I've not worked for pretty much the last the last six months. And that's the consequence of a, a huge mistake I made just over three years ago. I did something that I'm not proud of at all. I got into an altercation and a fight. I'd had too much to drink, but I know that that's not in any way an excuse. And the long and short of it is it was my fault. It's an episode in my life that I regret more than more than anything. And I'm I'm sorry and I'm I'm very grateful to be back. Back here with you guys. Okay, Gregor, mate, we, we do appreciate that. Um we're gonna move on though. Up next on the podcast, we will be giving out our end of season awards. So do stay with us. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Up next on the game podcast, it is the moment that you have all been waiting for. The end of season awards. Yeah, you might say, you know, the P- the PFA, the, the football writers, they did their awards ages ago. Why are you waiting so long? Well, it was convenient for the podcast. So here it is. Okay. Our end of season awards. 
Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, Tony Cascarino, and myself, Hugh Wisencroft, handing out the best and worst of what we have seen this season. Where do we begin? Where should we begin? I think all of us could just very quickly, if you've got them, run through your team of the season. This is your starting 11 from the players that you've seen this year. I'll start with mine. Why not? I've gone with Alisson in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back, Van Dijk and Matip, both Liverpool centre-halves in the middle of my defence, Joao Cancelo, the other full-back, in the midfield, Declan Rice, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, and my front three, really the only front three, surely, that anyone has picked, Mo Salah, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Hyung Min Son. Who wants to go next? <laughs> Gregor? Okay, I've gone for Josie Sa in goal. Okay. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold right back, Ruben Diaz and Van Dijk, and Joel Cancelo. Uh, same midfield as you here, Declan Rice, De Bruyne and, and Bernardo Silva. And I've gone for Son, Salah and Harry Kane. Ooh. Bottled it. Harry Kane over Cristiano Ronaldo. Come on, first season back in the Premier League. Unbelievable no scenes. Alison? I've gone for Alison. Just like when you say Alison, I say Alison. <laughs> I just like that. No, obviously it's Alison. I've got Alexander Arnold. Controversially, I've gone for Canate because I've been more impressed. I know he hasn't played as many goal uh, games as most defenders, but I've been more impressed by him at the back than any other centre-back I've seen this season. And it's weird not putting Virgil in, but that's how I feel about it. Virgil van Dijk's n- not, not in my centre-back? No. What? I know, but I, I get told I'm biased. I'm being completely honest. Well, you, you chose another Liverpool <laughs> yeah. centre-back. No, place, but so. I, I, I have been <laughs> amazingly impressed by a, the way he's adapted to the English league, but I think he's had some stellar performances. And okay. if, I, if I had to buy, if I was in charge of a brand new team with loads of dosh, I would buy him. I would buy him above all other centre-backs. I think I think there's a lot more to come from him. But Rudiger, I think, has been incredible. He's, he's great to watch. Um, he's a unifying force in a team. He'll be sorely missed by the Premier League and by Chelsea. Robertson, I mean, people call him an unsung hero, but he's sung a lot by the cop. They know his value to the team. I've gone for romance. I've put Ericsson in midfield because I don't think this season Shock. would have been the season it's been without the wonderful story mm-hmm. of, of Christian Eriksen and he's not a bad player as well. I've got Rodri and Rice in there to add a bit of oomph and Son Salamane. Mane, okay, all right, I like it, I like it. Tony Cascarino? Um, well, I haven't written mine down, Hugh, but I'll go Alison. don't need to, do you? Straight off the dome. Go on, Tony. <laughs> Alison, goalkeeper, Trent right back. Um, now we're starting to get a little bit controversial. Diaz, a City, centre-half, alongside um, Thiago Silva, a Chelsea. Uh, Left-back, Robertson. I've gone Rodri, the holding midfielder, uh, alongside Kevin De Bruyne. And who's my third midfielder? It's gone. Let me go Mane uh, down the... down the No, sorry. Son down the left, Salah on the right and Kane down the middle. And my other midfielder, which just left my mind... Christian Eriksen? No. It's got to be Bernardo no. Silva. No, it was, it was Rodri. Rodri. Rice, have you put Declan Rice? Declan Thiago. Rice. No, that's it. Rodri, Declan Rice and uh, De Kevin De Bruyne. That yeah. was my midfield. So okay. two holders and one pushing forward in Kevin De Bruyne. So. I hope you wrote down the rest, Tony. All right. No, I didn't write them down. I, I could quickly go through it again if you needed me to go through it. It's Alison, right back, no, no, Trent. No, no, no. <laughs> Believe me, it's fine, Tony. We got there in the end. We got there in the end. So Alison okay, next... wins goalkeeper. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I think course, that's quite absolutely. comfortable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go to our next category, which is most improved player in the Premier League this year. Um, Tony, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Rodri. Rodri, I named him in my team. I thought he was absolutely outstanding for Man City. I mean, he was a top player before, but if you had said to me he would have played that Fernandinho role all season and looked like he was never missed Fernandinho, I just think he's been brilliant for City. Gregor? Yeah, I went Rodri as well. He didn't make your team. He's someone... No, he doesn't have to make my team because he's most improved. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't improve enough, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I was pretty kind of uh, sceptical about him when he, you know, after his first season, in the mm. Premier League and even really last season and it kind of I didn't think he had quite had the legs but he's, he looks like he's fitter mm. just much more impactful and, and he scored some important goals as well yeah. um, I, I think he's been greatly improved so yes I think Rodri Alison I've gone for Ramsdale because I think 
people treated him as a bit of a joke and why would you spend money on him really really and I think he's uh, grown up in front of our eyes he's made some great saves but I think he's you know he's, he's been linked with being the captain of Arsenal he's just become a sort of proper I like when a player grows up in front of your eyes and improves and they almost seem to change character and grow into the role and cope with the pressure of a price tag that is what a properly improved player should be. Okay, I've gone for Jared Bowen, West Ham United, who, um, yeah, I think he was a little bit in and out last year under David Moyes. I mean, obviously it's off the back of his England debut, seems a bit obvious, but actually, um, you know, double figures in goals, double figures in assists this year. Um, really, actually, I think at times carried West Ham United. Mikel Antonio had his injury problems. He was so consistent throughout the season. Jared Bowen would have got called up for England if it wasn't for injury early Earlier on in the year, but um, but yeah, he continues to improve the energy that, and work rate that he shows. His ability to press at the right times, you can understand why he's being linked with with big clubs and big moves away. So Jared Bowen for me, my most improved player. I might as well tell you my unsung player. That's our next category because it's from West Ham United as well, and I've gone for Craig Dawson at the back, um, and he maybe fits in a bit like Aaron Ramsdale. You know, he's one of those players who'd gone down when he signed for West Ham. United it was a bit like what's he going to offer them you know maybe it's just an extra body in the squad and he's really proved his worth this season in both penalty areas I think he's been absolutely no, fantastic no no so. no Hugh you're missing you're missing the point of the category unsung <laughs> hero they sing Ballon Dawson I mean that means you're highly sung <laughs> and highly praised <laughs> No, I just don't think he gets praised enough. You know, Ballon it's a niche song. It's all about, yeah, it's all about, it is all about Rice and, and, and Bowen when you talk about West Ham United these days. And I think Craig Dawson's been massively important. So kudos to him. Um, unsung player. Alison, I'll go to you next. Well, it's, it's, there is only one properly unsung player and that's Marcus Alonso because they don't sing his name except opposition fans sing. We know what you did. Because when he was younger, he was driving a car and a young woman was killed in that car crash and he didn't go to jail. So for a lot of people, that isn't justice. But also I feel the media in general overlook his contribution to Chelsea. I don't believe Chelsea would have made the Champions League's places without Marcus Alonso. Whenever he's required, he just steps in so smoothly. He's the perfect wing back. He allowed Chelsea's 3-4-3 to operate beautifully when Ben Chilwell was... A, came back from the Euros, not mentally there, according to his manager. He was so disappointed with not playing at the Euros. Alonso just slots in. He wasn't expected to start, but he starts. His assist rate is fantastic. He's, he's, he's just the epitome of the wing back you want. And then Chilwell comes back in. You think that's a bit unfair on Alonso, but no one makes a fuss about it. Then Chilwell uh, does his knee in and then Alonso has to come back and he does it all over again. And the only time you'll see him uh, highlighted on any of the you know the big TV shows is when he's um, turned inside out by someone like Mo Salah. They never, ever analyse how good he is. And that is the epitome of an unsung hero. Okay, all right. I take your point. Um, Gregor, who's yours? You might pour scorn on this and laugh at this, but I think James Madison. He's gone backwards, Gregor. He's not gone backwards. Oh, he has, Gregor. He scored 18 goals and got 12 assists in 53 appearances this season. It's 30 goals he's had a hand in. And a team that's been pretty average by lesser standards, finished eighth. He's had an outstanding season. And I think it's gone pretty much under the radar. You know, Leicester fans think, oh, he should have been called up for England. I don't think many other people do. I think there's obviously he's got a lot of competition, but it was only 12 months ago, a little bit longer, he was in the conversation right along, you know, get him and him or Jack Grealish. Um, I still th I think he's performed brilliantly this season. I don't think he's quite getting the credit that he deserves. And the reason Leicester finished so far down the table is because he was pretty rubbish at the start of the season and and was a, a sort of kernel of reason why they 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 were so stuttering. I think I think, I think not being able to defend set pieces would be above James Madison's performance personally. <laughs> Shouldn't that be part of the category? If you were rubbish as well in a part of the season, then you play really well. Unsung hero. Probably. Well, it doesn't make you, an unsung you know, hero. No, but it, well, it does because the, the the crowd might, like you said with Alonso, might be on your back and not quite you know flavour of the month. That sort of attitude towards a player, because mine's a, a bit similar. Although people wouldn't say, well, hold it, the crowd never turned on him. But I would say Ben. 
Davis at Tottenham, who mm-hmm. was not in the team under, you know, a Nuno who was in and out, messed around, played a left back, played in a three. Antonio Conte's played him every time. And a lot of the news has always come out of Spurs of their new signings, Harry Kane and Hume Song. And Ben Davis and Antonio Conte has said this himself, he couldn't believe how good he was. And I would go, well, you know, Tottenham fans have never really recognised Ben Davis. They've always seen him as a squad player. And I, and I would go Ben Davis. Okay, all right. I'll take your point on that as well. Um, The big one, the big award, which usually comes at the end of the night, I'm going to do next because I think we might have more of a debate on some of the the, the following categories. I'm going to go with player of the season now because obviously all of us are going to say the same player and there's going to be no real debate here. I have gone for Liverpool's Mo Salah as my player of the season. I'm not even going to justify why. I I do believe he was the best player in the Premier League this season. De Bruyne showed that level of quality, but not for long enough. And yes, Mo Salah had a disappointing second half of the season, but actually some of the wonder goals that he scored in the first half of the season just edged it for me. And I imagine the rest of you, so there's no point even asking. Right, Tony? Uh, I'm with you because he was so far ahead by January it become a, not even a debate um, and obviously De Bruyne had been injured beforehand and his performances towards the end De Bruyne were terrific for City it felt like Mo Salah had got so far ahead and you might say well Mane was pretty close to him which I think is a valid point and look the African nations come and Mane obviously won with Senegal and uh, obviously you know you had uh, Mo's Egyptian team get beaten on penalties uh, um, I, I'd still say Mo for me and one thing that never stopped with Mo Salah was that he's always got chances in games he never stopped even the Champions League final the goalkeepers had to pull off Courtois a couple of decent saves and one in particular in the game where you know Mo had done everything right and Courtois pulled off a fantastic save I, I would just say that he would still be my winner I, I, it was nowhere near as comfortable at the end but there was a big gap early on I would go for Son. I think he's played in a team that collected 21 points fewer than Liverpool and obviously another point less than City than that. Um, De Bruyne, De Bruyne had, had mm. phases in the season where he was just, you know, the, the De Bruyne that we know, he just takes a game by the scruff of the neck and wins it for them. And Salah had some, some of the most exquisite moments. But for Son to... You know, particularly after Harry Kane's poor start, you know, that's his partner up front... Um, I think for him to 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 score as many goals as Salah, um, and to perform the way he did, and to kind of win games single-handedly sometimes for for Spurs, for a, a Spurs team that have been on a bit of a journey this season as well. You know they've been, they've, they've come strong in the end, but there was plenty of peaks and troughs in that season, and Son was the one kind of shining light for them, one beacon for them the whole season. So I think I think Son deserves it. Not having it now. <laughs> no, no, so, 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 I think probably Son will come second for me okay. I've, I've, I've liked him for so long and he's had an exceptional season but I, I just think it's a bit perverse with Mo Salah because he was utterly exceptional mm. for most well for half the season and then just excellent for the second half to then say that means you can't be player of the season mm. it, it, I, I, you know you, you've, got, you've got to be grown up about it so over the whole season he was the best player <laughs> <laughs> you know Greg as a naysayer anyway let's be honest he was always going to go with something different wasn't he but there you go three out of four for Mo Salah you can't please everyone uh, next category signing of the season Gregor, I'll start with you. It's got to be Ericsson. Yes, I know, yes, I know, yes, Alison. I yes, think this is the yes. one where everyone will be, uh, you know, unanimous. I think, you know, it's got everything, hasn't it? Romance, uh, stats, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. He, he just changed their season completely. Um, so late in the season as well. You know, clearly, someone like Luis Diaz as well at, at Liverpool had incredible. Kulusevski. Gumares, but no, none yeah. of them had the same impact as none of them died for five minutes. In, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so it, absolutely, well, it's a pretty it's high bar in that case, isn't yeah. it, Alison? Well, okay, all right, Tony. <laughs> Tony Cascarino is looking at me. Well, like so I'm is a that, witch. Is that part of the criteria that you need to die for five minutes? I don't know. Um, I, I look. There's some standouts. Gumares is one. I would put Dan Byrne at Newcastle was another reason because they accumulated a hell of a lot of points and I thought his performance was great but you're not going to go beyond Ericsson it's just you know 
I'm just trying to find another candidate and the answer is he just totally changed the old, the way they played effective with his goals and his assists and I just think Brentford got an incredible lift by him coming and being as good as he can and the world be. got a lift yeah and, and, <laughs> and I just can't debate anyone else it's, it's the most obvious answer genuinely as soon as you read out all of those names I was like wow I didn't consider 90% of them when I came to the conclusion that Mark Kukurea of Ryzen was the signing <laughs> of the season. That's a game of opinion. Listen, he's been linked to Man City um, and I think he was great and he uh, really, maybe signing of the season is, is wrong. He was the gem of the season. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. weren't expecting what the, the performances that he's put in and he's, he looks destined for great things. So maybe I've just got a soft spot for him. Um, worst signing, I'll start here because it's a player from the club I support, Manchester United. Mm. It actually could have been a couple of candidates, but I've gone for Raphael Varane, who walked out in a Hugo Boss suit, taking selfies in the middle of Old Trafford and everyone heralded, you know, this high quality centre-back that Man United have been calling out for for so long. And he was so off the pace when he was fit and the rest of the time he was totally unfit. And I, I hope that he is the player that we saw at Real Madrid at some point in a Manchester United shirt. But I truly fear that that player may have gone, um, especially if you look at his performances this season, entirely underwhelming. So yeah, for me, it's Rafael Varane. The only the only silver lining, I guess, is that he didn't cost 80 million quid. Uh, Alison, who have you gone for? Oh, there is only one answer and that's Romelu Lukaku. And mainly because of the price tag. I mean, it's a hell of a lot of money to spend on someone who's then has one amazing game you think, oh, Chelsea going to win the title. And from then on in, you think, oh, he's a bit slow. Oh, dear. Mm. He's only doing it against teams that aren't very good. Oh, he's doing interviews saying he'd rather not be in England at all. He'd rather be in Italy. And I think it was a big contributing factor to Chelsea falling off the pace. Um, you don't spend that amount of money, nearly 100 million quid, on someone who is a, an actual problem for mm. you. Uh, it's, I mean, that is the epitome of a bad signing. Who have you gone for, Tony? Um, I'd written down Varane and I'd written down Lukaku and I wanted it to be different in this category. And do you know one player that really got to me because I thought it was going to be an absolute signing that would make a massive difference to Aston Villa was Leon Bailey. And I saw him play against Everton. They beat them and he looked like he was going to literally destroy fullbacks. I haven't seen him since. Spent 25 million on him and just not seen him. And when he's played, he's been taken off and Gerard looked like he's already just not interested in him. Um, I think the two that you mentioned, Lukaku and, uh, and Alisson, obviously Lukaku and Yuvaran, easily up there. But I'm just going to go Leon Bailey because as an Aston Villa player, um, I just felt I'm going to mention him because I just can't believe how poor he's been. Gregor? I agree with Alisson. It's got to be Lukaku. I think mm. he... He didn't have impact on the pitch, but as Alison said already, the, the impact he had negative impact off the pitch. And when someone's coming coming for a hundred million pounds, I think that sums up to being a pretty disastrous signing. Okay, next up we've got manager of the season, Alison Rudd. I'll start with you again. Well, if it's if it's everything, if it's Europe, domestic cups, and league, then it's Jurgen Klopp, undoubtedly. But if it's just the Premier League, I would give it to Thomas Frank lowest paid players lowest wage bill lowest paid manager and honestly the way he's conducted himself it was him phoning Christian Eriksen that got Eriksen to come to the club I mean that's lateral thinking for you and even when they were on a terrible run just before Eriksen signed he 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 able he was able to twirl every defeat to be it's okay we're going in the right direction I think we played incredibly well and he kept kept that club buoyant when all around them people were laughing at them and saying oh what well, we're going to go down after all uh, so I just think they've had an astonishing season their first season in the Premier League incredible and he's just very likable very intelligent. And but if it's the if it's everything, then you can't look beyond Klopp. So I don't. It's, it's a question of what our parameters are. Hmm. Yeah, it's Premier League. I've gone for Thomas Frank as well. I, I agree with you. I won't add any more. I agree with everything you had to say about him. Great first season for Brentford uh, in the Premier League. Tony, I'm just going to be different. Okay, I want to go for someone I think uh, changed the whole dynamics at a football club, even more so than Thomas Frank was Eddie Howe at Newcastle. I thought his job he did winning six of the last eight games 
in the Premier League. The two they lost were against Man City and Liverpool. And they needed Champions League form to stay in the Premier League. And that's what they achieved. And I think if you look back and where Newcastle were and the season, how it was panning out, I thought Eddie Howe's job was incredible. What a change he made. Sometimes you get the, the bounce and the spring of the step of a new manager. And I thought Eddie House had enormous challenges at that football club. And we could say he identified players that he needed. Whether it was Samuel or anyone would want Trippier. He got Dan Byrne in, he got Gramirez in. You know, I just thought what a tremendous job he did. Joe Linton's role in the team. I thought Eddie Howe, for me, did things that could easily go Klopp, Guardiola, and even mentioned Thomas Frank, but I'm going to go Eddie Howe. Checkbook. <laughs> Not really, Al. It wasn't that big of a checkbook. Look, I'm, I'm a oh, come on, oh, Tony. I'm a it was the biggest checkbook of a side in the relegation battle. For well, that's, and and basically. they stole key players from their relegation rivals. Well, that's not it's not being managed the season. No, that's no, controversial no. takeover. That's of the brilliant. That's that so is. Fergie never nicked anybody of any else of his rivals. Fergie nicked Van Persie off of Arsenal. You know, well, I'm not giving him manager of the season either. No, but, 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 but you can't criticise managers because they've stole someone oh, from elsewhere. I can criticise him for going Ow, there in the first Ow. place. He knew what he needed. Yeah, he knew where he was going as well. And, and he got the players in that made a massive difference. He'd be my manager Sorry. of the season if he'd said, no, I'm not going because I don't agree with the human rights record. I'm, right, I'm, you're holding a grudge in that case, Alison. <laughs> right. He's never going to win. He's never going to win anything in your eyes. No, I just think you've got to look at everything in context. And that's why I think I went for Thomas Frank. Yeah. It's not that Eddie Howe hasn't done a great job, but I think to fly up the table when you've given you've been given such a boost in January, yeah, I, I think gonna, takes what, the gloss. Eleven off million it. for Dan Burke. I know. Yeah, I was going to. He spent eighty Eddie million Ho. quid. Eddie Howe was eighty million quid in January. Come one, on. One of those players, though, will be part of their journey. You know. And yeah. for a well, long period fine. of time. He's, he's a player that's linked. He, he's a player. He's a player. No, no, no. Bruno Guimaraes was linked to Champions League. Plus he's the one player. He's the one player. Until yeah. Newcastle. Kieran Trippier just won a league with Atletico Madrid and he's decided to move to Newcastle who were bottom of the league at the time. Yeah, but he's in his early 30s. He's not going to be there very long. Listen, with all due respect, he's never making that move if it's not for the money. Come what about on. the role he's of Joe Linton in the team, in the Newcastle team? Yeah, I, very, very... Listen, I'm not saying Eddie Howe's done a bad job. He's done some things very, very well. I'm telling you why he shouldn't win manager of the season. And that is, he's been lifted by players coming into a situation that without that takeover, they never would, in my opinion. And it's just an opinion and we can differ on that. <laughs> but that's why he hasn't won the top award. He might he might be top five. You know, I'm not I'm not saying he's done a bad job, but but certainly not getting the trophy from me or Alison. And 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 so we say so, basically. Thanks very much. Uh, our final <laughs> award of the season. There, no, I'm drawing the line there. I said so. The final award of the season is the team of the season. And it's in the Premier League, and it might be different to your your manager of the season. At least mine is. Um, Gregor, who have you gone for for team of the season? Oh, sorry, did you did you do your manager of the season, Gregor? Well, I, I chipped in with with Eddie Howe. I I was leaning towards Eddie Howe too. I think the fact that if you if you average their points per game, they would have finished joint seventh with West Ham. Whatever you say about the players that came in, that's an incredible uptake, and you're seeing performances from players that were already there that have that you didn't think were possible to be honest so I think he's up there um, but you know it, it, it's the same with this one too with the team of the season I think if you're looking at it holistically it's Liverpool but if you're looking at it just purely on the Premier League only it's got it's got to be Pep Guardiola because he he he, he held them off he held them held them off again and, and pipped them narrowly and at the end of the day when we look back you'll look at how many Premier League titles Manchester City and, and Pep Guardiola have won and that's history now. I like the fact he's such a good manager that he wins the team of the season. You know, not Manchester City, Pep Guardiola. That's the influence <laughs> well, they're, they're that he the same, has you know, on the they're, club. They're, 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 they're uh, intrinsically linked, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. And I have gone for Manchester City as well. As we speak to two Liverpool fans next, will it be bias or will it be reason? Alison Rudd. Pure reason, Liverpool, because they kept the title race going. They're much more exciting to watch than Manchester City. <laughs> and they just are. So um, who would you rather tune in to watch? Liverpool almost getting the title or Man City uh, on a procession to the title? 
So Liverpool. Tony? Well, I can't give it to the team with the Middle Eastern money because that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, is it um, Newcastle, Tony? No, I'm... No, my, my Premier League team of the season is Liverpool because I think they... To achieve one point less than City with a squad that City had, and yes, Liverpool have improved with the signings they've made of sort of players like Thiago and Diaz coming in. I thought Klopp done an amazing job in really getting near City in, in itself. And look, they were so close to nearly everything and I, I find it hard to not go to Klopp on this one. Okay, so we're split down the middle on team of the season. Two Man City, two Liverpool. I might as well ask you a question that we weren't expecting then. Do we see anyone other than these two winning the Premier League next season? And if it is to be one of them, very early shout. Don't know what's going to happen in the transfer window, of course. But at this point, who do you see being the better side next year? I'm going to say Manchester City. I think we'll see a better Tottenham side next season. I don't think they'll, they'll come close to winning the Premier League. So no. your, your answer is no. Okay. And who, would, who do you think will win it? Manchester City. Tony? I think Chelsea um, are going to be very close because I do believe that there's going to be funds available and to improve that team, it's really hard. Look, if Haaland works, it's a no-brainer. If he comes in and settles in and gets goals, I can't see anybody getting within 10 points of City, if I'm speaking you know, brutally honest. Um, so I'm going to go Man City. Alison, final word? Is this the final word? Do oh, I get the final word? The, the final, final word. word is Liverpool. Any reason? Just you love them? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good enough. <laughs> that's a valid one. That is, that is good. That is as good as any argument put forth on this entire podcast. So thank you very much, Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson. Thank you all for listening as well. Remember, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast if you're enjoying it. We're going to have plenty more for you across the summer as well. And we will be back on Thursday, by the way, reacting to these games in the Nations League this week. Um, but remember, if you want to get more of award-winning journalism from The Times and The Sunday Times, check it out at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.